Hey everyone, welcome to Chiropractical. Hi, I'm Melissa. And I'm Chick. We are your co-hosts for Chiropractical, which is brought to you by the Miles Away Business Credit Card. On today's episode, we'll be talking with Keith Henneman. Keith is our Vice President of Claims at NCMIC, and he has been protecting the reputations of our doctors for over 25 years with our organization. Today, he will share the importance and the pitfalls of patient records. We'll also get two questions from our listeners in our Ask NCMIC segment, and we'll hear from Rebecca Westfall about some exciting new features with our Miles Away credit card. With that, let's get started. Hi, Keith. Welcome to Chiropractical. You've had a lot of experience dealing with claims, helping chiropractic doctors. So what is the single most important thing required when you're defending a malpractice claim? Well, that would be the records. In all honesty, when I first look at a claim, the first thing I do is look at the doctor's records. I don't look at anything else um, because I want to know um, what the patient's initial symptoms were, what did the doctor do in terms of assessing that, and then what did he or she do in terms of treatment and how did the, how did the patient respond to that. So the way we like to tell doctors is we don't expect your records to be a novel, but if you had to look at them two to three years from now, are they going to be your best friend or your worst enemy? That's a good way to put it. So as you've gone through claims, are there any of those records where there's pieces missing or things that, are, that often occur that our doctors should, should consider? You know, it's not uncommon for records not to be complete, regardless of what profession we're talking about. Um, so then you get into to what degree are they not complete? Um, one of the things that we take a look at, especially in this day of, of EMR, electronic medical records, is are the notes objective? Do they change from time to time? Um, it's not uncommon with some of those original versions that they have what's called what we call a canned appearance, where literally every single note is the same. And so we'll get like months worth of these notes and sometimes unfortunately years worth of these notes where they are literally identical. So you can't tell what's gone on. And that's, you know, that kind of goes to the doctor's credibility. It makes it a little bit difficult to defend at times. Chiropractors, they treat their neighbors, their family, their friends. Do these rules apply for that or do they need to keep records for those treatments? The short answer is Yes. Um, I think what happens a lot of times here is that doctors get a false sense of security that they're treating their employee, neighbor, cousin, aunt, uncle, whoever. Um, and I can tell you over the years that I've handled claims where the plaintiff or the injured patient has fallen into every one of those categories and they do sue the doctors. And what happens in those situations is that actually adds a whole nother element um, to the claim because the doctor takes it very personally. You know, this is, you know, their brother that's happened, a sister, uncle, high school, best friend, fill in the blank. And if you don't have records, then it's really hard to defend what you did. And a lot of times those cases will come down to rightly or wrongly. Who does the jury like? Do they like the the patient better or do they like the doctor better? Because they don't know what the doctor did and they're hearing what the patient said happened 
And the doctor is left with nothing to really refute what the patient is saying. And so it's basically his or her word against his or her word. Yeah. So regardless of what type of patient it is, if you're treating someone, take notes. Definitely. And I I think I would have liked to be at the Thanksgiving dinner table where the brother who sued the brother... (laughs) I yeah, but that's interesting. We, we've uh, we've heard of some interesting uh, family get-togethers during yeah. the course of a claim. I bet. So chiropractors, they're busy. Let's say they don't get the notes written at the time of treatment, mm-hmm. and then they go back after the fact. What red flags suggest that the records weren't written at the site at the time of treatment? Sure. So there's so there's a couple things. They can't go back and change a record but it's okay to clarify a record if it's done in the proper way. And that would be by an amendatory note that should have the date that the amendment was added. And then, you know, what either the doctor was clarifying, forgot, want to change or, or, or whatever. They shouldn't go back to the original note and change it. And we'll maybe come back to that in a little bit. But one thing that is maybe a tip off to something not being right with the records is I had mentioned earlier some of the old EMR systems where you'll have just the same repetitive note one after another after another and then all of a sudden you'll have this big super detailed novel that is written on the date that the injury allegedly occurred. Now this doesn't mean that it wasn't written contemporaneously um, but it'll come across as very self-serving Um, on the doctor's part. And when I say that, I don't mean that I think it's self-serving, but when that doctor gets deposed, he or she's going to have to answer a lot of questions in terms of, so on the date this occurred, why is your note so detailed? And previously it was just, you know, literally cut and paste, cut and paste, cut and paste, where you can't tell what the treatment was, what the symptoms were, because everything looks the same. So, it may not be a fraudulent entry, but it's going to be a lot of hay that the plaintiff can make that goes towards the doctor's credibility. And it's kind of a, one of those red herring things where it may not have anything to do with the case, but it's going to make the doctor look potentially incompetent and sloppy. And it makes extra work for us on the defense side. So is there um, a general guideline of how quickly a, a doctor should make a note right after the treatment? In a perfect world, it would be when the treatment is done, concluded. But depending on how big the doctor's practice is, how many patients they have, I mean, I, I get it. That's potentially not realistic, but it certainly should be done on the same day that the treatment is completed. And the sooner the better after the treatment so it can be accurate to what actually happened. And maybe they're not distracted by, you know, helping one of their kids with homework or something else going on while they might be dictating their chart. Can doctors go back and change their notes or clarify them? They can clarify their notes. I would highly suggest not to change their notes. And as I mentioned earlier, if they're going to clarify a note, it should be by an addendum. So, it's actually a totally separate entry that's going to be dated when it took place. That way it doesn't look like they were trying to go in and change things after the fact. Um, And it's happened over the years where 
the doctor will get a medical records request and then it'll just kind of instinctively make them grab the chart. And if they get kind of that feeling in their gut about mm, maybe there's going to be a claim coming from this, then they'll, you know, enhance, clarify, add to, they have all kinds of names and none of them usually end up good when it comes to defending the doctor. So oftentimes it might even be better just to write a note separate and just kind of keep it um, off to the side to discuss with your defense counsel or your NCMIC claims rep instead of adding things to the chart that in the end may make it more difficult to defend. So be prompt. And if you mess it up or forget something, just do an amendment. Don't go back and delete. No. Okay. Tell me more about metadata. So one of the things that comes up often in litigation these days is the plaintiffs will oftentimes ask to have the doctor's computer uh, forensically examined. And what they're looking for is what's called the metadata. And metadata has been described to me as the footprints behind the scenes of every transaction that takes place in that particular chart. So it's going to have time and date stamps for every entry that's in there. And the old saying of, you know, just because you delete something, it's really not deleted is very true. We've had some suspicions over the years about whether or not something was written contemporaneously and the doctor, you know, denied, denied, denied until this request to have their computer examined. And then we get the, okay, we need to have a discussion. We need to have a talk. Mm -hmm. Um, And then, you know, they kind of come clean. So there are ways that if you change the records, it's going to be, there's no way around it. It, You're going to get found out. So if you fall into that trap at some point in time, be upfront with your defense attorney and your NCMIC claims rep, because the sooner we know about it, the better we can come, come up with a game plan to how to address it. There's really no covering your footsteps, so to speak, when it comes to computers and technology, because it's all in there behind the scenes. There's no racing that. Very true. If a doctor has an all cash practice, do they need to keep records? Again, short answer. Yes. But I know there are a good chunk of doctors that have a cash practice that don't keep records. And there are rationale behind that. I've been told numerous times over the years is that since I have a cash practice, I'm not going to be getting records requests from insurance companies. I don't have to justify my fame, my payment and fee schedule. So I don't, I don't take notes, but I'm here to tell you that cash patients still sue their doctors. Mm -hmm. So it'll get back to that situation we discussed about before. It may come down to who a jury likes better, the patient or the doctor, if there are no records. And sometimes that can be a coin flip, unfortunately. And um, you don't know what side of that coin flip you're going to end up on sometimes. So best practice, whether it's cash or an insurance practice or a combination of both is to keep accurate and timely records. And if I could just put that on a recording sometimes, I <laughs> wish we could because it's, it's an ongoing theme for as long as I've been here. And I suspect it will be for long after I'm not at NCMIC, unfortunately. What is a litigation hold letter? 
And what does it mean? So a litigation hold letter is something that is new with, or newer, I should say, with the advent of all this electronic data that is kept now instead of the old-fashioned pen and paper. And what it means is, so a doctor uh, will get a litigation hold letter, and it's usually very specific to a patient, which that actually may be their first indication that a claim is going to get made before they even get a records request or get a lawsuit. And what it means is any electronic data related to that specific person, and they'll usually have a, a date time frame on there, um, like say 1-1 of 2016 to 12-31 of 2018, you can't destroy it, you can't change it, you can't alter it, um, you can't delete it. So that's their way of saying, don't do anything with it um, because we want to look at it. Those letters need to be taken seriously. And if, you, if a doctor does get one of those letters, they should contact us immediately so we can get an attorney involved and help them make sure they retain those records properly. If our listeners wanted some more information on how to keep themselves out of trouble or when to call you and your team, where might they find that information? Well, we have a lot of information on ncmic.com, um, especially if they're a policyholder. They can, you know, create a user account and they can get into some stuff, as I, w I like to call, behind the, the front gate. Um, and we have, you know, old examiner case studies in there. And there's a lot of other resources that are in there that could be valuable to them. Um, in terms of when they should call, I always say trust that um, gut instinct that everybody has. And if something doesn't sound right, feel right, smell right, it's probably not. Um, and so we like to encourage doctors to call whenever they don't think anything is going right. And then we can make a note of it. And usually we can put them at ease to a certain extent with all of our years of experience that we've, we have here. However, I will say that as long as I've been here, at least once or twice a year, we still see or hear something that we haven't dealt with before. Don't think um, that whatever might be happening to you you're the only person because chances are it's happened to, you know, dozens of your colleagues out there. So give us a call and don't try to deal with, with these sorts of things on your own. If someone calls, there's no charge for that, right? There's no hit to their record, so to speak, for calling and ask for advice. Correct. We um, will do everything in our power to hold off opening up a claim as long as we can. So usually when the first calls come in, we do what's basically called the, we create an incident. And so what that is, is we get all the pertinent information about the doctor. We, you know, what's going on? What's the patient's name? What were they treating them for? Why do they think something might be going on? And then the reason that we do that is so if it is maybe just a hunch that something was going on, or maybe they heard something through the grapevine and they call to report it. So it might be another six months to maybe even a year to a year and a half before anything may happen. And if that doctor calls back in, they may not remember who they talked to, but if they say, hey, I reported this earlier and I talked with somebody, I can't remember who they are, we can pull it up and then they don't have to start back at ground zero and try and remember exactly what happened or what their initial thought was, why they called in. So it's a good way for us to 
um, have a good starting spot with the doctors. And I know from personal experience when you call in, and especially like a customer service issue, and if you're calling a provider of some sort and you just constantly have to repeat your story, that's what we're trying to prevent. So um, call in, we'll not open up a claim right out of the gate, and we'll do our best to put you at ease and tell you what to expect. So Keith, when you think about notes, patient records, is there a preferred format or a format that works better than others for those notes? Sure. The one format and, you know, universally accepted might be stretched a little bit, but I know this format is taught at all of the chiropractic colleges and that would be the SOAP format, which is subjective um, complaints of the patient, objective findings of the doctor, the doctor's assessment, and then the plan. So if they follow that format, um, they're usually going to be okay when it comes to um, having their records reviewed. I'd like to welcome Rebecca Westfall to the podcast. Rebecca helps our doctors find the best financial solutions for their practices. And 2020 has made it more important than ever before to have options. Thanks, Chick. We've been working on that very problem. We know a lot of DCs are carrying some extra or unexpected debt right now because of the effects of COVID. Unexpected is a good way to describe this year. So how can NCMIC help our doctors? We're happy to announce we've launched some new business credit cards to help our doctors with their ever-changing financial needs. We know every DC uses credit differently, and one card is not going to match everyone's needs. I heard something about wanting to help our doctors get those debts paid down quickly. Yes, we're offering a no-fee balance transfer and a no interest for nine months. If you're not sure which of these cards is the best fit for you and your practice, we have a short and fun quiz you can take at ncmic.com forward slash right for you. Got it. Thank you. ncmic.com forward slash right for you. Rebecca, thank you. Really appreciate you being here today and sharing this important information. Yeah, you're welcome. Thanks for having me, Chick. Hello, this is Mike Whitmer with NCMIC. Each episode of Chiropractical, we are taking your questions. Many doctors have questions about practice, risk management, or any other issues that you face every day in practice. We're calling this segment, Ask NCMIC. One question we get a lot is about opting out of Medicare. I know when I'm at chiropractic events, this is a common question and many doctors are confused about it. So we got in touch with Dr. Evan Gwilliam, a Medicare compliance expert. Dr. Gwilliam, what is the deal with chiropractors opting out of Medicare? Well, the short answer is just no. The long answer takes a little bit more of an explanation. A lot of doctors want to feel like they can see whoever they want, and as long as the patient and them agree, they should be fine. But Medicare has certain rules and regulations in place that make it a little bit tricky to do that. Basically, the way it works is as a provider for Medicare, you have to enroll with them in order for Medicare to know who you are and make sure that their beneficiaries are safe. And they have a rule that says that certain providers can opt out of Medicare, meaning they can see a Medicare beneficiary without having to be enrolled with Medicare. But there's all these rules and regulations about how they can set up this private contract to make that happen. And it turns out one of the rules is that chiropractors are excluded from this option. So chiropractors are not able to engage in a private contract with someone who has Medicare, uh, like a medical doctor is able to. 
Now, instead, what a chiropractor can do is get enrolled with Medicare. Therefore, they're allowed to treat and touch Medicare beneficiaries. And in that case, they then have to choose whether or not they are PAR or non-PAR. And some providers confuse this. They think that if they're enrolled with Medicare and they're non-PAR, that means they can opt out or they can treat Medicare beneficiaries without having to tell Medicare what has happened. But if you are touching a Medicare beneficiary and providing care, the rules say you must send them a claim on the patient's behalf, whether you are PAR or non-PAR after you become enrolled. So chiropractors need to understand that they can't opt out in that they can't engage in a transaction with a Medicare beneficiary without becoming enrolled. But once they do become enrolled, they can choose whether or not they're PAR or non-PAR, which really only affects how they receive reimbursement from Medicare. And that's a separate discussion for another time. A serious issue doctors face in practice is when a patient presents with apparent evidence of abuse. What is the doctor's responsibility and how do they handle these situations? We've asked Lori Holt to address this issue. Lori is one of NCMIC's corporate relations representatives and a registered nurse. She's a frequent speaker at chiropractic events across the country. So Lori, what is the responsibility of doctors who have patients they suspect are victims of abuse? That's a great question. I think some, a lot of us have come across that situation, do we report it or not? As a doctor, yes, you're required by law to report any suspicion of abuse. That abuse can include a child, an adult, male or female. It doesn't pick a certain category. It can happen to all of us. The best place for you to look to see what your state requires you to do is childwelfare.com. You go to that landing page, you click what state you're in, and it tells you what you need to report, how to report it, and so on. So that's a great website to go and look at. Um, when we talk about liability, when we're talking about do we do this, do we not, there again, yes. If you have reasonable cause, which that's enough to even think that you may suspect abuse in your patient, then it needs to be reported. The liability comes if you don't. Some of the states can charge you, and that could be a misdemeanor, all the way up to a felony and jail time if you don't report it. If you report to abuse in good faith, then, and the investigation shows that there was no abuse, you're not held liable for that. When we talk about, you know, documentation, managing that risk, yes, document, 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 just like you would on any other patient that may even come in for neck pain or back pain, you need to document. What that does is it helps in the investigation of this case and can help the um, investigators actually put that person who's been abusing that patient um, in jail or, or wherever may happen to them. So yes, documentation is very important. And don't forget, you have to go under training for mandatory reporting every six years. Um, that is required by law to do that. Do you have a question you would like us to address on Chiropractical? Send us your questions to AskNCMIC at NCMIC.com. Well, Melissa, I'm interested in your key takeaways from today's episode. Yeah, Chick, I had three main important takeaways from my conversation with Keith. The first one is you should be really thorough with your patient records. The second one is make sure you document those notes into the file immediately after the patient's visit. And the third one is don't edit or delete your notes. If something comes up after the fact and you need to change some information, add it as an addendum. Don't go back and edit and delete the original note. Why is counsel there? 
what I took away, I, of course, assumed that chiropractors were mandatory reporters, but I did find it interesting that there's no consistent age or gender of people that are abused. And it's also incredibly important that everyone go to review the state requirements and understand how those state requirements apply to their practice. And with Dr. William, I was really interested and didn't know that chiropractors cannot opt out of Medicare. So that was great. And finally with Rebecca, with all that's going on in the world from a financial perspective, it was really interesting to learn about the customization of the different cards to serve different purposes and needs of our customers. So all in all, another great episode in the books. Absolutely. It's great talks. If you're interested in learning more about our guests or the information they shared in their interviews, please visit ncmic.com forward slash chiropractical. Check it out. And thank you, as always, we appreciate you listening and we encourage you to hit subscribe wherever you get your podcasts so that they're automatically in your feed. And if you're so inclined, please leave a review. It was great to spend time with you today and we look forward to talking to you again next month. Take care and be well.